everybody, welcome into episode three of All Say This with Chris Castellani. I am your host, Chris Castellani. We got a lot to cover. A wild, wild weekend in sports. I'm really excited to talk about it. I will, I, I really do this a lot. I will say this. This episode may feel a little bit choppy. I'm working around multiple schedules right now, recording Lights, Camera, Barstool, and just interacting, hanging out with people, and just trying to you know, figure out things. So I'm recording this kind of in bits. I'm going back. I think I'm going to record my first, the first part of this show first, and then the last part of this show second, and it's going to be kind of a hodgepodge, so if it feels a little bit choppy, I apologize. I don't think it will. Maybe I'm just peeling back the curtain a little bit too much, but we'll see. We will see what happens. But let's jump into the main story today. The basketball school, the Michigan Wolverines, are moving on to the Sweet 16. After beating Colorado State, they played what was, to me, an ideal college basketball game. Before I get into what Michigan did and how happy I am for them, I have to say that is that game against Tennessee that Michigan ended up winning, uh, 76-68, to 68, that is what college basketball should be. A well-played, well-coached, emotional, and even, this is a big one, really well-officiated basketball game. The foul calls were legit. There was no uh, dumb charge calls. You know, there was, it was a really well-played game. It's what a college basketball game should be. Fun game to watch. And it was a roller coaster of emotions that ended with Michigan pulling out a dub at the end, when I was watching this game in the first half, Michigan was down by five at halftime, and I wasn't feeling good because I felt like Michigan was there. They were there the entire half, and they left a lot of points on the board. Diabate missed some bunnies. They had some open shots that they missed. I'm like, man, I I really hope they keep this up, and I hope they bounce back because it feels like they're there. It feel, This does not feel like a mismatch. It feels like these teams are really close. Michigan's just got to find a way to break through. When I went back and watched the highlights, and when I went back and looked at the box score— I was trying to figure out what it was exactly that this Michigan team did differently than what they did in the regular season. And watching the highlights, it's like, okay, what they did was they fed Dickinson in the low post. That's nothing new. Um, Eli Brooks played an amazing game. That's that's the big one here. What did I say on my last show? I'm waiting on the Eli Brooks legacy game. We got it on Saturday evening against Tennessee. That hook shot will live in Michigan lore forever. I can't believe he pulled that out when Michigan was up too. That was a massive shot. I figured that if Michigan was going to make the second weekend of the tournament in order to get by a highly seeded team like Tennessee, I figured that they were going to have to do something substantially different than what they've done all year. I figured we would have to see something not fluky, but like I said, something that we hadn't seen, which is like Caleb Houston going 7 for 10 from three-point range. Well, he had zero points. Or we'd have to see somebody like Kobe Bufkin come off the bench and hit a bunch of threes. And while Terrence Williams was sensational, I left that out of my post-game video. He was such a difference maker. I've been a fan of him all year. I think he's a good player. And I know that this year, until now, was a major disappointment for so many Michigan fans, myself included. I've been pretty adamant that I, I like the direction that the program is going in, in large part because there are certain players that it seems like guys have forgotten about. Kobe Bufkin, Terrence Williams, Frankie Collins. These are really young college basketball players who I think are going to grow into studs. And Terrence Williams, that was a huge, huge moment for him. He's the biggest X factor on this team. And I'll have, I'll have to go back and look, but I can think of at least three games this year where Michigan won 
or pulled away at the end simply because Terrence Williams was one of the better players on the floor. Actually, I, th- I can think of four. The first game against Buffalo, the Indiana game on the road in which he was incredible, especially in the first half. You have this most recent game against uh, Tennessee in the Big Ten tournament, and you had the, the home game uh, uh, in Chrysler against Michigan State where, yeah, Hunter went for 33, but Terrence Williams, I think, hit three-pointers in that game. I think he was three for three at one point from three-point range. That was a sensational performance, but to me, what, what made the biggest difference in both of these games, both Colorado State and the Tennessee game, was the fact that Michigan's defense was substantially better than it's been all year. Now, Tennessee had some really good looks, especially late, and they missed some really good looks. But I don't recall many second-chance opportunities. Michigan got boards. Uh, uh, Dickinson had a double-double once again. The Abate crash in the boards. They they played more like the team we saw last year, which, yes, had scores everywhere, but was also a top-10 Ken Palm team defensively. And there's still a ways to go. Uh, on the defensive end, Caleb Houston needs improvement. I feel like he loses his man a lot. And like I said, Tennessee did miss some really good looks. It's a good team. Rick Barnes is a very good coach. I know that, you know, I'm, there's some pieces that were written about how he's overrated, but I- I'll talk in a second how difficult it is to win in March. It's a guy who's coached a team to a Final Four. They're going to hang a banner this year uh, because they won their conference tournament. They were a three seed. Very good team. Very good coach. And Michigan found a way to beat him. It's so funny to me, and it shows how meaningless in many ways the regular season is in college basketball. Now, if you win your conference, guess what? You're hanging a banner. Don't apologize for it. Don't hang your head about it. You win your conference tournament, you're hanging a banner. Don't apologize for it. Don't hang your head about it. But this was a team in Michigan that started the season number five, I believe, in the preseason AP top 25. And we waited 31 plus games to see that team, a team that could get rebounds late in games, a team that had scores, a team that had one of the best players in the country in Hunter Dickinson. And all year, they showed little glimpses of it. You'd see like the Purdue game or the second half against Michigan State at Chrysler. You'd see these little, little moments which like, okay, maybe we have something here with this unit. Maybe they finally found it and then they would lose the next game and they would struggle and they would play a poor defensive game or they would play a poor shooting game. And through one half of game 32 against Colorado State, it felt like the bottom had finally fallen out. They had previously just blown a 17-point lead against Indiana in the Big Ten Tournament. They were down by 15 against Colorado State in the first half. And I don't know what clicked, but it seems like there was just certain guys in this team that had no interest in going home. Dickinson and Brooks being the, the two big ones. It was... A a very fun weekend. It's funny because I sent out a tweet last week where I was ranking my sports fandom allegiances. Number one is obviously the Detroit Tigers, who we're going to talk about here in a bit. Number two was Michigan basketball, and number three was Michigan football. And a lot of people are like, wow, I can't believe that you have to be one of the only people in the world who has Michigan basketball ahead of Michigan football. And I just... I, that's just my that's my fandom, man. That's how it is. That's I, it's. I know that's weird, and I know that's kind of a sacrilege, especially considering that Michigan is you know quote unquote a football school. But I don't know in my lifetime, Michigan basketball has given me more outside of the Ohio State game last year and the Iowa games last year. Those back to back games, that Michigan Tennessee game in the second round 
of the NCAA tournament on Saturday was more satisfying, more fun, and more intense than any Michigan football win of my lifetime, outside of those two that we saw last year. That was irreplaceable. I was losing my mind watching that game, and it was fun. I'm incredibly proud of this team, and I, you know, I know I've been critical, and I'll, I'll say it, I've been wrong. I, I, I don't think I've been wrong about Juwan. I've, I've always liked Juwan, but I've been wrong about some of these players. I've been wrong about what the ceiling of this team is, and I'm so happy for him. I'm hard on the ones I love. You know, I, and I, I'm, I'm very excited that Michigan gets to fight another day in the NCAA tournament. And that leads me to my next point. Michigan basketball has now made it to the second weekend in five consecutive NCAA tournaments. And before anyone jumps down my throat, I know the 2020 tournament got canceled. It seemed like that team was probably somewhere between like the six and the eight line. Who knows what they would have done, but it got canceled. But the last five NCAA tournaments, They've made it to the Sweet 16 or better. That is so impressive. It's impressive for any program, but it's impressive that it happened at Michigan. I know it feels like a lifetime ago, but it's really not. Michigan made the Elite Eight in 1993, and they proceeded to go 20 years without making it to the second weekend. Two full decades. Now, there were reasons for that. Chrysler turned into a dump. You had the sanctions, the postseason ban. You had LRB falling apart. You had Amaker kind of falling apart. Like, I totally understand that there were extraordinary circumstances that led to that kind of bottoming out, that bottomless pit that was Michigan uh, basketball for a few decades. But if you would have told me in my sophomore year of high school in 2012, after a four-seeded Michigan team lost to a 13-seeded Ohio team in the first round, that over the next 10 years, I was going to see Michigan basketball play for the national championship twice and at one point make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament in five consecutive tournaments, I would have said that you were nuts. And guess what? It has not resulted in a national championship, but it's one of those things I think fans really are wrong about sometimes because to me this is all you can ask for as a sports fan I'm not turning down a championship I'm not turning down a world series I'm not turning down an NCAA tournament championship I'm not turning down a, a national championship in football but at the same time I'm a firm believer in the fact that the chase can sometimes be more exciting than just winning it I would much rather have a team that is consistently good every year than some random team like you know like the 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 Marlins or something that just pops off for a championship once in a blue moon and then sells their team essentially or just guts the team the next year. It's why I'm not as down about that 06 to 2014 era of Tigers baseball as everyone else's. Should they have won a World Series? Absolutely. It was a failure that they didn't. But for a decade, essentially, you woke up on opening day and you said, holy cow, this team can win the World Series. And while they didn't, you can't tell me that those weren't fun teams. And I desperately would love to see Michigan basketball at some point win a national championship. But these last 10 years, what they've done in March, even, even beyond the NCAA tournament, what they've done in the Big Ten tournament, it's, it's crazy. It, it is an unprecedented run of success that Michigan basketball truly has not seen. You can't tell me that it's not fun, especially with this team that was legitimately bad. Like some teams just struggle. I know like Izzo's had some teams that kind of stumbled into March and then they got really good in the tournament, but they were good. This team for pretty long stretches was a bad basketball team at points this year. And they've turned it around and now they're going to have an opportunity to create an even greater legacy. Did not see it coming a month ago at this time. I'm very proud of them, and it, it it's a lot of fun. It really is exciting. All right, now we're on to segment number two, 
like I said, a little bit out of order. We're doing a Christopher Nolan episode here where everything's just a little bit different. Michigan State just lost to Duke, 85-76. to Before I get into that game, I do want to talk about the fact that in, in the, for the sake of fairness, Michigan State won a really good game against Davidson, and I want to bring up Joey Hauser because I've been tough on Joey Hauser. I just haven't seen it. I thought he was overhyped when he got to Michigan State. I don't think he's been that great at Michigan State, but you know what? The guy proved me wrong and went out and played an unbelievable game, 27 points, I believe, against Davidson in a game where they needed every one of them. They won by a single point. Davidson is good. Davidson's got some ballers, and there was a point in the second half of that game where it felt like uh, Davidson was pulling away and Hauser and Hogard brought him back. And, and like, I don't... When I send a tweet or when I say something that is critical of a player, I don't mean that as some sort of assassination of their character because I'm a softie when it comes to that stuff. And I just watched the final possessions there between Michigan State and Duke and Hauser's crying and Gabe Brown's crying. Like, only a true asshole would make fun of a guy who worked his butt off playing college basketball for four years. Now, you can be critical of them as a player, but to try to knock down their character, say that they're they're a jerk-off, like, stop it, stop it, come on. I mean, that's a bad problem that we run into on social media is people are so personally mean towards players and coaches. That's nonsense. The guy played a great game. Guy worked his butt off. Regardless of what I think about him as a player, I'm just one guy who's out sending tweets. That's a guy who actually put in the effort and put in the work. I am in awe of all athletes because I am not one. So no matter what, whether he comes back or not, because he does have that extra year of eligibility uh, because of COVID, um, he'll always have that Davidson game, and good for him. Now, as far as the Duke game is concerned, awesome game. Man, I don't know what it is about the basketball programs in this state, but they play some great NCAA tournament games. And I felt like through 38 minutes of that game, Michigan State played as good as they could have possibly played. You could make a strong argument through 38 minutes. They simply outplayed Duke. Great NCAA tournament game. Guys, teams making tough shots, intense defense, passion, good coaches. I mean, two legendary coaches uh, going back and forth against each other between Coach K and uh, Tom Izzo. Awesome, awesome game. But sadly, that game was indicative of many close games that Michigan State has played over the last two years. They've never been bad, but they're good they're good, they're good, and yet you get to the very tail end of a game. Happened in back-to-back tournaments now. And they're good for whatever reason, just isn't good enough. And I'm sure that's frustrating, and I, I don't I don't mean this with any condescension. Like, they played really well in that game. And that those are the worst losses, where you feel like you couldn't have done anything else. Now, the last two minutes were a mess. Three straight turnovers, Hauser gets a shot blocked. Like, that was, that was tough. But they played really well for a large majority of, of that game. I believe that Michigan State will bounce back. I believe that Michigan State will be very good next season. But let's break this down. And I'm going to stand up in my seat because maybe this is controversial. I don't know. I think I'm being remarkably fair with what I'm about to say. But Michigan State, in back-to-back years now, has failed to make it out of the first weekend. This is not new for Tom Izzo. In fact, from 2016 to 2018, uh, they did not make it out of the first weekend either. The difference is two of those teams, uh, you had 2016 was a two seed that lost to a 15 seed, and then 20, uh, uh, 2018, you had, I believe, a three seed that won uh, the Big Ten Conference and then got bounced by Syracuse. 2017, they were really young, but you've had a Michigan State team in back-to-back years. Last year was an 11 seed. This year was a seven seed. Back-to-back seasons, they have not finished higher than seventh 
in the Big Ten Conference in the grand scheme of what is a remarkable legacy for Tom Izzo. These last two teams have been two of his most forgettable. And Matt, my producer, I'm really going to do this. I want you to play the tornado siren right now because we're going to do a hypothetical alert. Hypothetical alert. Hypothetical alert. Hypothetical alert. Wee woo. Wee woo. Wee woo. Wee woo. Okay, we're done. Cut it off. Michigan State bounced in the first weekend back-to-back tournaments and has had two of the lesser Izzo teams in back-to-back years. Now, I've said from the beginning, I believe that this year's Michigan State basketball team was a teaser trailer for what's going to be a really good Michigan State basketball team next year. Let's say all the seniors leave and don't take, you know, don't take themselves up on that extra year of eligibility. You still have Hall, Marble, uh, Christie, Akins, Sissoko, you got some really good players coming back that are going to be really hungry. I think it's going to be a rock-solid Michigan State basketball team. But let's say a year from now, if I'm doing this show and Michigan State hasn't made it out of the first weekend again, that will be the point in which I think it will be fair to discuss whether or not the possibility of Izzo winning national championship number two is officially done. And look, we got a ways down the road. And you put a gun to my head, I am putting a lot of money on the fact I think Michigan State makes it to the second weekend next year. But I think that Michigan State fans and college basketball fans in general have had this idea for a long time that Tom Izzo is immortal. That Tom Izzo has this ability where he's just going to coach forever and make Final Fours forever. I'm a firm believer that much like players, coaches have primes. When you look at Bobby Knight, who is considered the greatest coach in the history of the Big Ten, guy who won three national championships, I believe in his last seven years, he won two NCAA tournament games. A lot of people forget about that. I will always believe that Tom Izzo has another Final Four left in him, the same way I will always believe that Tom Brady has another Super Bowl left, and the same way that I will always believe that Mike Trout has another MVP left. Some guys are just that great that they've earned the benefit of the doubt. But he will not be coaching forever. In fact, I'll go as far as to say I don't think he's going to be coaching much longer. That's not a slight. The guy's been around forever. He's 67. Guys retire, man. And he has had a string of success since, I, I guess you could say since 99 when uh, they made his when he made his first Final Four. But really since 98 when they won the Big Ten and made it to the Sweet 16. That's a run of success that is as unprecedented as any run that's ever been seen in this conference. Arguably that's ever been seen in this country when you look at what Tom Izzo has been able to do. Next year will be... The true test. And again, people are going to say I'm condescending or I'm being a dick. I really mean this. Like, they have a lot to be proud of with how they played against Duke. So much of that game, they were more physical. They were tougher. They hit a lot of shots. Gabe Brown in the first half was brilliant. But it seems like since Cassius Winston left the program, it seems like there's just been that little element that's been missing that had been there for Michigan State basketball for two decades. Sadly, and again, we it's a ways down the road before we're having this discussion. Having that 2020 run canceled. It's the biggest what if, maybe not in program history, arguably in college basketball history. The amount of legacies that could have changed for players and coaches and shit, even fans, if Michigan State gets into that NCAA tournament, which they would have, obviously. They would have been probably, you know, a two or a three seed. And it makes a run. What could have changed is, it's immeasurable. And that is no fault of Izzo's. 
It's no fault of any player on the team. It's the fault of a stupid pandemic that came out of freaking, well, <laughs> depending on who you ask, it came out of nowhere. But, um, you know, it, it, was, it was sad. I, I, I like to fool around and I like to poke fun. There's not a single coach in my lifetime that is coached in the state, and I'm including baseball managers in there as well, that I have more respect for than Tom Izzo. What he's done for that program has been unbelievable. And really, beyond that, as somebody who grew up in Lansing, what he's done for the community and the way he's represented himself, he's a good man. And you can take any, much like Juwan, you can take any random clip of him yelling at a player and make him out to be a dick. Well, then you're a dick because you don't know what you're talking about. But next year will be the true test in which you wonder, okay, does he still have the fastball? I think he does. But only time will tell. They'll regroup, and I think they'll be better next year. Lastly, I want to talk about a little bit of Tiger's spring training news. You know, spring training is the biggest tease there is because you see these pitchers and you see them for like two innings at a time, and you, you see these hitters for you know, two, three at bats at a time. I think AJ's done a really good job of kind of easing some of these guys into the lineup. The lineups have been good, the pitching changes have been good. I, I'm, it's been intriguing. Look, the, the wins and losses don't matter. If, if somebody comes at me and says, well, the Tigers have the X record in spring training, you're out of your gourd. Okay? Half these games are played by guys who aren't even going to be on the roster this year, so stop. You know who we're excited to see, and that's what I'm going to talk about. I know we are three games into spring training, but I'm so excited for opening day, and I'm so excited for baseball season that I'm going to do. I'm going to be hyperbolic Chris here for a second. Riley Green is a major league ball player. And if Riley Green does not start in the outfield for the Tigers in 2022, the Tigers will have made a mistake. Outside of the obvious, his build, the bat speed, the exit velo, you know, the mental makeup. When you watch him play, you cannot tell me this guy is not one of the nine best hitters on this team. And he belongs on the opening day roster. Torque has had some really good swings as well. But I think that you could make the argument. I wouldn't agree with it. But I think you could make the argument that Torque might not belong in the opening day roster. I don't. I think it's kind of flimsy. I think it's kind of silly. You can't tell me that with Riley Green. I think because at least with Torque, you could say that, hey, you know what? This team, they already have kind of two first basemen, Miggy, obviously, in their scope. Again, I think it's flimsy. I don't agree with it, but I'd listen to it. I'm not listening to any arguments that Riley Green is not ready to play Major League Baseball. He had a home run. Uh, in one of his first spring training at-bats last week. This guy is the best Tigers prospect that I have ever seen. Now, outside of some of the pitchers, if we're just limiting it to position players, that's kind of slim pickings. I mean, who would be second outside after Torkelson? You know, Steven Moya, right? Tyler Collins, Hernan Perez. I mean, they've had some they've had some doozies. But uh, this guy's a major league ball player. And this, this year, I don't know what the Tigers are going to do. I don't know how successful or unsuccessful they're going to be. But this really, this is a year where I'm telling fans, like, be amped about this. Like, is Riley Green going to be good? Hell yeah, he's going to be good. You have waited so long for this anticipation because we had several years there, way too long, way too long, in which you looked at the opening day lineup and just went, oh my God, this is just, I mean, this is terrible. I remember going into 2019, looking at the opening day lineup, like that, your opening day lineup, should those should be your money beats. Those Those are your best players and saying, I would maybe let one of these guys on a good major league team. 
That's not going to be the case this year. Robbie Grossman looks really good. Torx had some really good swings. Baez was legging out a double. The pitchers looked really solid. Mize is still missing with his spots a little bit, but the fastball had some giddy up on it. I know the radar gun in spring training runs a little bit hot, but we were seeing him at 96-97. Scooball looked great, and Scooball was testing everything. Change-ups, sliders, curveballs. Fastball looked really good. Pitched very well against the Yankees last year uh, at Comerica and pitched really well against the Yankees in spring training. And that leads me to... A big free agent signing that went down over, uh, it was, was it over the weekend? Yeah, it was, sure. Semantics, I think it was early Saturday morning. Carlos Correa signed with the Minnesota Twins, a three-year deal. I was very surprised. I mean, it's the highest AAV uh, per year uh, of any infielder in Major League Baseball history. I made a video where I talked about it. I'm just, I don't get the market. I'm surprised that nobody ponied up. Uh, for that $300 million deal that I think many people were expecting. Didn't happen. He will be playing in the Tigers division. We'll be seeing him 19 times a year pending uh, health, obviously. Here's how I feel about this. Carlos Correa is an amazing player. And I believe that Carlos Correa will destroy the Tigers this year. He's going to destroy a lot of teams. I mean, I'm sure he'll be like the new Salvador Perez. He's going to be a great, great player. He has been his entire career. He's one of the most talented shortstops uh, the game has ever seen. He's a five-tool baseball player. But I think sometimes people get it wrong when they evaluate free agent signings because what a really good free agent signing does is it makes a good team really good. It could make a good team great. But there's no such thing as a free agent signing that I know of in my lifetime that makes a bad team good. Prime example. And I know this was a huge, substantial signing in the grand scheme of things in Detroit sports. But Pudge Rodriguez, after 03, after winning the World Series, the Marlins signs with the Tigers. And Pudge had an amazing year in 2004. One of his best years. And we're talking about a Hall of Famer who won an MVP. Hit 500, I believe, in the month of June. It's unreal. But you know what? That team won 70 games. I get the frustration when you look at Correa's contract and the length of that deal and thinking, like, why couldn't Illich have ponied up and given him that contract? And I understand that frustration. I agree with that frustration. I still would would have preferred Carlos Correa be this team's shortstop uh, opening day this year. But one player does not make a championship team. And I'm sorry, dude. And this, again, this is so weird. Castellani optimism is a rare, rare thing. But when I look at this division, last I checked, this team finished third in the division last year. You had the White Sox, who will run away with the division again this year. I'm very confident in that. I don't think they've had a very good offseason, but that core is so good. They had bad luck last year. They had a ton of injuries, and they still won 93 games and ran away with the division. In second place, you have the, the Guardians. Are they going anywhere? They have pitching. They're always going to have pitching. But J-Ram might be traded. I don't. There seems to be kind of a relative attitude of apathy coming from Cleveland. I know they've beat up on the Tigers. A lot of teams in the division have. But does Cleveland scare me? Am I confident that Cleveland is absolutely going to finish with a better record than the Tigers this year? No. You have the Royals. The Royals are a pain in the ass. And they have players who are thorns in the Tigers' side. Salvador Perez hit 25 home runs or something against the Tigers last year. I know I'm I'm, uh, being hyperbolic there, but he was a great player against Tigers. 48 home runs led, uh, I believe, all of baseball. A season ago, Merrifield's a good player. Mondesi's all right. Brady Singer, I think, will come along as a starting pitcher. But do, do they scare me? Am I a team that I can confidently say is going to be better than Detroit? No. And then you look at the Twins. That's a really good lineup. Polanco, Sanchez, 
Correa now, Kepler, and I, I know Gary Sanchez was a mess in New York. I think Gary Sanchez is going to is gonna have a pretty good year uh, for Minnesota. If he doesn't, his career might just be done. But he's got too much talent for him to be as underwhelming. I think the, the pushback by Yankees fans really got to him. And I think he was even kind of open about that to a certain extent, at least his camp was. I remember listening to a Michael K. show clip where he talked about that. Good offense. And Sonny Gray is a good pitcher. He'll be probably their opening day starter. Nobody else in that rotation really scares me. I think that Detroit sports fans, generally speaking, I'm not saying it's everybody, have become so traumatized by past disappointment that they're afraid to embrace expectation. And there was a, and I, I had fun with it too, but I think there was a general mood when Correa signed with the Twins of, oh, here we go again, outbid by the Twins, they're not going to be good. Ugh, these guys, the other teams have these star players and we don't. I'm telling you, if this team is healthy, the Tigers, they're going to be quite good. This is the first time I've said this in a while. And spring training has something to do with that from what I've seen out of spring, but it's just vibes matter in baseball. Clubhouse culture matters. And this is the best culture the Tigers have had, I would say, since the Sparky Anderson. Era. It might even be better than some of the early Leland years. I think they're united. I think they're together. I think they're smart. Preparation is A.J. Hinch's middle name, and this team is going to prepare for every ballgame. And you know what, dude? If they fall apart, I'll be the first one to say they fell apart and I was wrong. But I don't think there's anything wrong with embracing expectation. My initial reaction to Correa signing with the Twins is, oh, damn it, I wish he was here. My second reaction was, all right, let's beat him. Because I don't think this division is that strong outside of the White Sox. And while the Tigers absolutely need to improve their record against divisional opponents, I think they will. So, I don't know, sue me. I think they're going to be good this year. I'll say it till the end of time until I'm proven wrong. I'll talk as much shit about something as I want, but the second I feel like that opinion may not be correct, I'll change my tune. Did it with Joey Hauser. I did it with Michigan basketball. Did it with Michigan football. That will always be the difference between me and other content creators, whether whether they be journalists, newspaper people, Though I guess newspaper people are journalists, radio personalities. Some people just don't like to admit when they're wrong. I, I never said that. Okay, fine. It's documented that you did, but I'll own up to it. Until the time being, I think the Detroit Tigers are going to have a good baseball team. And it's something that a lot of people should be really excited about. So that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. This was a good one. I think this is probably the best one we've had so far in the three episodes. We will have another episode up on Friday. So I will be recording probably right after Michigan plays their game against uh, Villanova. And I look forward to talking about it. Whether they win or lose, they're in the second weekend again, man. And uh, I I appreciate what they've done uh, in this tournament so far. So, yep, follow me on Twitter at Castellane2014. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get those watch hours up, up, up. And I got to add one more thing. As of now, this will not be in a podcast format. I know very little about this. Maybe my awesome producer, Matt, can help me with that. I don't know if he has the ability to do that. If I knew how to create a podcast or put something on iTunes or Spotify or any podcasting platform, I would do it. Uh, if I find out a lane in which I can, I will make it a top priority to be able to do this. I totally understand people's frustrations out there. I know people want to listen to this as a podcast, whether they're driving or they, you know, they're working out. You know, it's, it is so much more convenient to listen than it is to watch. And if I figure something out right away, I'm going to jump at that opportunity. The technical side of things I'm very fuzzy on. And if I figure it out, 
we'll, we'll have it as a podcast soon. But right now, that is not the case. I apologize for that. But I hope the substance of what I'm saying and I hope the entertainment value and the insight insight that I bring uh, will provide people with enough you know, comfort for the time being. It is a slow process, man. And I apologize for the slow process, but I hope the substance makes up for it. Thank you very much for watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Peace and happiness.